welcome to the Driving Test Podcast. I am Terry Cook and I continue to be your guide along your driving test journey to that eventful day when you pass and you go and drive off by yourself wherever you want, Scarborough perhaps, fishing ships on the coast, wherever your dream drive is. And today we are busting more myths. We have got more driving test tips for you. We are reviewing another driving test center and we are also taking a very deep dive into whether it's easier to pass your driving test in an automatic car or a manual car. And as always, it's not just me. I am joined by a fellow driving instructor in Nick Smith. So uh, we're going to dive into that in just a second. But just before we do, I just want to remind you all that wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you are, make sure you click subscribe. So hit subscribe wherever you're listening to it drops into your feed every time a new episode comes out and if you are listening on spotify have a check of the episode as well because you'll see that there is a poll or a question around the episode that we can get your feedback on and as always if you have any questions if you have anything you'd like us to cover specific on these episodes let me know you can find me at tcdrive.co.uk but for now let's get stuck into the show And on this edition of the Driving at Test podcast, I'm joined by a fellow driving instructor, Nick Smith. How are we doing, Nick? I'm really good, Terry. Thank you. How are you? Uh, all the better for seeing your smiley face. Uh, I'm really chuffed that you join us today. And today we're going to be talking about, well, the usual stuff, but as well as we're going to be looking at automatic versus manual on that side of it. But just before we dive in, do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and uh, where you're driving school and where you're based? Yeah, I'm... As Terry says, Nick Smith, I've been a driving instructor for two years yesterday. I started with my first first driving lessons, started off teaching manual, switched to automatic when I fully qualified. Uh, I now teach in my own driving school. It's called RPS Driven Electric uh, in the Sheffield area and north of Derbyshire. Um, and I draw a lot on my previous history because I've been a truck driver before. I've been a car salesman before, so my learners tend to get a little bit of this is what the truck is going to do and how can you you read the lorry and things like that, which I, I think is a little bit my unique selling point. Oh, that and the fact, fact I'm electric. Um, one of the great things about doing this podcast and one of the good pieces of feedback I get from the the learners that listen is uh, the the variety of instructors you know the 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 different backgrounds different mixes so uh, yeah definitely great to have someone of your uh, background on shall we say um, but we did want to speak about automatic uh, versus manual today and you mentioned electric there as well mm-hmm. and I think it's worth noting that there is a bit of a difference between automatic and electric in there you know the there's no clutch in either for a start but what how would you describe the difference between automatic and electric? The main difference is in the way that the two different types of car slow down. That being said, mine can take off like the proverbial robber's dog when it wants to. You've got a lot of instant power and torque there with an electric car. But it's the way the car slows down that's the main difference that you need to account for, particularly if you're using an electric vehicle for your driving test. The car uses a system called regenerative braking. So whereas in your manual car, Terry, or in a combustion automatic, 
the way you tend to slow the car down is by using the foot brake, which uses the discs and the pads to to turn the movement energy of the car into heat. My car can take the movement energy and turn it back into electricity and put it back into the battery. It does mean that when you come off the accelerator in my car, it feels like you're braking without touching the brake pedal. So it takes a little bit of getting used to for that. And if you learn to drive an electric and then buy a combustion, there's a a small period of adjustment, but it's something you get used to quite easily. And with my car, I can turn that feature off so you can get used to driving it like it's a combustion car. Um, I don't teach an automatic, as you mentioned, I teach in manual and I have uh, driven automatic, but not for a while. Um, but the way I've had I've, the way I've had electric versus automatic described to me is essentially there's no gears in an electric car. It's almost like turning the oven on, uh, which is the only way my simple brain will understand that. But when you go for a driving test, automatic and electric cars are kind of grouped in that same category, aren't they? You've got your manual. So yeah. if you turn sorry, if you turn up for your test in an electric car, you'll get an automatic license. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I had this explained to me actually a couple of days ago by a chap from Disability Driving Instructors. And when you go for a driving test in an automatic vehicle, you'll receive a pass certificate if you're successful. They will tick the box for automatic. And that will then mean that Code 78 is applied to your license. Code 78 restricts you to driving vehicles with an automatic transmission. Now, in this case, what they're talking about is not the gearbox, which is generally known as a transmission, but the bit between the gearbox and the engine. It's called a bell housing and the clutch lives in there. Now, if the car operates the clutch for you, or in the case of my car, there is no clutch, then you'll get that code 78 put on your license, um, which then means you can only drive vehicles that don't have a clutch pedal. Now, if when you pass your test, like I had a learner recently pass who has a disability and could not safely drive a manual gearbox. Then her license is coded with a different code. It's code 10, which then means that she could not legally drive a vehicle where she has to change gear, even if it's for flabby paddles. Awesome. Well, you've well, explained that so it makes sense to me, so it must make sense to everyone else as well. Um, but let's put the technical stuff to the side for a minute. Let's, let's look at tests and learning um, because... The, we, we often speak about myths on this show, uh, and I'm going to describe it as a myth, uh, but I'll be interested in your opinion on it. Uh, the myth I hear a lot is that um, automatic cars are easier to drive and easier to learn in than manual cars. Is that a, a philosophy you would subscribe to? Yes, for the first 10 lessons, no for the rest of it. <laughs> um on one of your other podcasts, the Instructor Podcast, you're talking about sometimes with some learners getting up to like the fourth lesson before you've moved off, moving off and stopping. I don't think I've had a learner do more than an hour and a half on moving off and stopping because we don't have to worry about that clutch pedal, which means we don't have to worry about finding the bite. We can go straight to making sure the observations are correct and the, con the, the control of the vehicle is a lot easier. Once you've got that, though, I mean, first of all, my car, if you take your feet off the pedals, will do six miles an hour without any input from you. So for the manoeuvres, it's actually a bit harder because you've got to learn to have that very fine degree of control on the brake pedal 
to keep the car moving at a nice slow speed. So in terms of the actual control of the vehicle, I suppose it's as much of a wash because you gain in the early stages and you lose later on where because you haven't practiced that really fine degree of control at the start that you need with the clutch, you can't then transfer those skills to the brake pedal and you have to learn that later on. Once you get past the actual learning to operate the vehicle, and I don't know whether you'll agree with me, but learning to drive is 5% learning to make the vehicle do, do its stuff and 95% learning how to deal with everything else that's happening out there. We've got the same other road users on the road, the same road network. We've got the same traffic lights and strangely placed roadworks and things like that to deal with that you have. So in terms of actual learning to be a road user, there's no difference between manual and automatic. I, uh, I think I completely agree with all that, um, which is a shame because that kind of <laughs> nullifies the discussion a little bit. But no, I, I, from my again, I haven't taught automatic, but from my experience driving automatic and, and working with people and, and so on and so forth, um, it's obviously going to be a little bit harder in the beginning because, as you've said, there's, there's one less thing to worry about when you're driving an automatic, whereas that, that clutch control when you're driving a manual, it can be a bit tricky for some people to master. But when I zoom out and look at it, I think of the, the dangers of driving, and there's not many serious accidents that are caused because of the clutch issue. You know, they tend to be caused because people aren't reading the roads properly or they're, they're doing something dangerous around that way. Now, yes, there are some of these accidents are caused by the clutch, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, there's, there's not many. Um, so I, I think I would agree with what you're saying there. But I would also chuck in as well that the, I've been doing this for seven years now and I've never taught anyone that hasn't mastered the clutch. I've never taught someone that has had to go, I can't do this, I'm going to have to go automatic. Now, yes, there are some people that will do that, but I think that's a minority. And I should also mention here at this point that we're not talking, uh, as you mentioned before, about drivers with a disability. We're talking about you know the standard situation, the commonplace example, if you like. What uh, I will also say, by the way, is that with my car, there is one other thing that is actually harder, and that is learning to control your speed. Because with your car, you've got the changing of the gears. You, you'll learn to equate first gear with up to, say, 13 miles an hour, and then second gears up to about 22, 23, and you learn to equate that. With a combustion automatic, you've got the sound of the engine. But with an electric car, particularly in uh, 20 mile an hour, 30 mile an hour zones, it's very hard to hear the difference when all you've got to work with is tyre noise. So learning to control your speed, it, re it relies a lot more on looking at the speedo, which when you're first learning to drive, you, you're too busy looking at what's out in front of you to, to worry about that little dial in front of you. And I think it's worth mentioning again, because I know you mentioned it, but just to clarify, when you're talking about your car, you're referring to an electric car specifically. Um, let, let's fast forward to the test a little bit then, uh, regarding automatic and manual uh, and, and the actual test. now. My assumption would be that it possibly is a little bit easier on test day driving an automatic. And again, I could be wrong here in the sense of I've had people over the years that have failed because of a stall or the result of the consequences of a stall. And I've picked up faults because of the consequences of a stall. And we'll maybe come into those consequences in a second. 
Mm-hmm. It's pretty difficult to do that in a, a car that is automatic or, or, or electric. So what could that potentially be easier? It's one less thing to consider. Could it potentially be easier in that aspect on the test? In that regard, yes. I mean, as I said, I teach in Sheffield. Sheffield is a city built on seven hills. Um, Particularly with Middlewood, one of our local test centres, I don't think there is a flat place anywhere near there to start off from. So with hill starts, I took a learner to Middlewood Test Centre for a test and she came back being unsuccessful, having stalled seven times trying to get out of a junction. And partly that was she rushed the first and she was in third, which didn't help. But even when she got it sorted out, she got so stressed with it. And not having the clutch to worry about obviously is going to help with that. So learners and, and pupils who have particular anxieties about driving may find it easier in automatic. It's it's an interesting one. I personally I don't think it's enough of a difference to make a difference. Based at one percent potentially, but if you're relying on one percent of your test, you probably shouldn't be taking your test anyway. And I mentioned stalling, then it's probably worth just to uh, to, to clarify this. Uh, it's a good opportunity to talk about it. Um, and I will just chuck in that in seven years of being an instructor, you can imagine how many tests I've done. And to the best of my recollection, in seven years, I've had one person fail as the consequence of a stall. So it's not like a, a big thing. And every year, when you look at like the the top ten reasons people fail. It's, it's not like stallings up there. Um, and I will just, I think it's worth mentioning about the consequences when I spoke about the consequences. And I'm going to give the two examples here because the, the student that failed actually failed stalling in a uh, the middle of a light control crossroads. And she started panicking and couldn't remember how to restart the car. So it wasn't the stall. It was actually not being able to restart the car because then the lights changed and she was blocking the junction off. That was actually the only fault she picked up. In the same week, I had another student that took a test and stalled five times and passed because none of those stalls were in an inconvenient place, if you like. So uh, I think it's worth noting to anyone listening there that a stall doesn't equate to a fail. It's the consequence of the stall. Um, Anything you want to add to that, Nick? No, I think I think you've covered that one pretty well. It's the same with with my learner. The reason the examiner said that he had to fail was that on st- I think it was about stall four or five, the a pickup truck pulled up behind her, and then the next stall delayed the pickup truck. So then it became a serious fault because it was affecting another road user. Um. Okay, so just with the test as well, I think you explained this better than me when we were talking about your father. So I'm going to let you phrase this again about when you turn up to test what you're turning up to a test of when you book a driving test in the uk it doesn't matter what you're booking a driving test for it could be a motorcycle test car test truck test whatever you are booking to be tested to drive that size and shape of vehicle you're not booking to to say i want to drive this size and shape of vehicle with this particular feature on it so you've booked a test just for a car when you get there, the examiner will look at the car, see that it's an automatic, and tick a box on the iPad. And then they'll also tick a box on the pass certificate in about 45 minutes, hopefully. So when you book your driving test, you're booking a car driving test, you are then assessed on the car that you turn up in. So, for for example, trying to think of... With the driving instructor tests, we we can be asked to demonstrate cruise control. 
but only if the vehicle has it fitted. They, they, they can't test you on something that isn't there, so they can't assess my customers to drive a manual vehicle. So they just mark down that you turned up in an automatic. Um, yeah, you definitely explained that better than I would have done. Uh, mm. And I think the last thing I want to touch on here is about the differences. Uh, and, th- and this is personal opinion. Mm. So I'll let you go first on this. What do you think the the benefits are of a manual versus an automatic license? Would you? I know you teach electric, but would you encourage more people to go manual? Or do you think more people should be going down an automatic route? It depends on what you want to do. If you feel that you might potentially want a career in driving at some point, I would recommend going manual. Um, main reason for that is that as it becomes harder to find automatics than in, in other vehicle classes, they're consulting on making changes where if you have passed a different class in a manual, you can drive, say, a manual bus or a manual lorry or a manual motorcycle or whatever. Um, so if you f- think that down the line you might want to do other licenses, doing getting your manual out the way early is a good idea. If you're in the Sheffield area, I'd recommend automatic. <laughs> um, but... I mean, personally, I've I've been a manual driver. I passed it. I passed in a manual car when I was seventeen, eighteen. I then passed in two different types of manual lorry. I'm learning to ride a manual motorcycle at the moment. I I like the involvement of being of controlling that function of the car. But for a long journey, I mean, I my car came from Newcastle. And I took the course that I was teaching in before up to Newcastle, got out, and I felt I, I felt the fact I'd done a two-and-a-half-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive. I then got in my car. I call her Eva. I love her dearly. Um, but drove her back down. So this was my second three-hour drive in the same day, and I got out in Sheffield. It was fresh as a daisy because there's just less mental stress involved in it. Yeah, you can get that. And I think there's very little for me to add to that, actually, uh, only to say that if you learn an automatic you can, or, or pass an automatic, you then can still uh, take a manual test. I've had a few re- recently for me, uh, students have, have passed an automatic. They've come to me to learn manual because they need it for their job as a police officer. Um, so... Even if you learn automatic, you then still come back and can, can take a manual test as well. Um, if you're struggling to pass in a manual, passing in an automatic and then getting some road experience in an automatic vehicle and then converting to a, to, to a manual license may make it easier because you're there, you've then mastered the being a road user bit and all you've got to focus on is that one stick and that one pedal. Definitely. Uh, anything else you want to add on about the the idea of automatic and manual licenses or learning to drive in them? Not not really. Um, aside from the fact that in my car you can't get asked to check the oil on test because it doesn't take any. So there's there's one thing that makes it easier on your driving test. 
There you go. Um, all right, so let's move on to some of our regular features on this show. And the first one we're going to look at is uh, the myth busting. So I ask all the instructors that come on to bring a myth that may, they may well have heard about the driving test and see if it's accurate or not. So what myth have you got for us today, Nick? I was torn between two, but I think we've already busted one of them, which is stalling on your test. I thought I wanted to do stalling on your test, but I felt like an imposter because I'm an automatic instructor. <laughs> um, the myth that I've chosen is that you'll fail your driving test for taking a wrong turn, which is it's, it's, it's utter bunkum, really. Um, if you look at, it's an iPad now, but if you look at the form that the iPad app was developed from, I say to my customers, there is absolutely nowhere on that form for them to mark down idiot took a wrong turn. It's if you take that wrong turn perfectly safely, there's nothing that they can fault you on. I, I actually, uh, when I talk to my, my guys, uh, especially if they come from another instructor, I, I'm against the term wrong turn because you haven't taken a wrong turn. You've gone the way that you intended to go. It's just different to what someone else has said. This is that reframing thing you're all about, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and it, it, so if, for example, the, the driving examiner or me or your friend or whatever says, we're going to take the third road on the left and you take the second, well, you've gone the way you intended to go. You haven't gone the wrong way. That's where you wanted to go. It's just not where the person next to you wanted to go. So you haven't gone the wrong way. You've just gone a different way to what they said. And I think that when I look like that, it makes it feel like a lot less pressure and you know you i think i've always said this a driving test is a reflection of real life so in real life you're not going to go the the ideal way every single time you will occasionally go oh, i'm going to use it but you will occasionally go the wrong way or, or whatever it is well what would you do in real life you'd pull up you'd turn around you'd take a detour you'd you know see the magical chip shop that you've just found and go get some chips or whatever it is you would do you would do that it's, there is no fault there Again, you're not being assessed on your ability to count to free and take that turn. You're being assessed on your ability to drive. And I think that is a, it's a really good myth you brought up there. There are things you can do right, as a result of going the wrong way that could result in a fail. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll let you come on to this in a second, Nick, but I think the, the one for me is if you're signaling wrong. So if you started signaling right and turn left, that's likely to lead to a fail because you're telling everyone something completely wrong. You're telling everyone you're going one way and misleading them and then going a different way. But again, with that, you wouldn't be failed because you'd gone the different way. You'd be failed because of an incorrect signal. And I've tended to find that where, where you find people that are, fail, that are failing after a result of taking a, a turn other than that, that the examiner told them, because I agree with you, if they meant to go that way, it wasn't a wrong turn, <laughs> um, is because they think, oh, oh God, I've gone the wrong way. I've, I've failed for that. And they start to get the panic building up and they're like, right, I've got to turn it around. So they think, right, Terry taught me about this. I've got to do one of them turning the road things and then they bump a curb. And it's because they're panicked and they're they're so anxious about getting back to where the examiner wanted them to be they're not paying attention to what they're doing now with anything on your driving test i mean the one that i had that passed earlier this week 
hit a curb. Hit a curb. She said she thought she failed. Didn't even get a driving file for it because it's only a little kiss. Yeah. Um, so don't worry about what's been. Worry about what's happening now because that's what you can change. I think the other thing just to add on to that is if you're thinking about what you've just done, you're not thinking about what you're doing. And I know where your brain needs to be, and it's on what you're doing. And and that, you know, you, I think that's keep your brain on what you're doing. As long as you're doing that, you're not going to go far wrong. And I suppose the only other one I would throw in there potentially is, uh, you know, turning the wrong way up a one-way street. So yeah. you need to be safe. You need to be legal. That would be going the wrong way if you went up the wrong way up a one-way street. Ironically, the one that I had that passed on Tuesday failed last month for trying to go through a bus gate. So she did exactly that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that's that's a good shout because I know it's something a lot of learners panic over. It's going the wrong way. It's not the wrong way. It's just a different way. And then you'll retour or detour and, and come back. And and often the examiner will intervene, even if you're following satnav. Often the examiner will intervene and just jump in with directions. Now, admittedly, sometimes those directions are a bit short and snappy mm-hmm. because they want to get you back on the route and not go the wrong like onto a motorway or. Or something like that. But, that's a, that's another example of a time when a wrong turn can terminate your test. Yes. Because um, the examiners aren't allowed to take you on the motorway. Don't do that. Um, so, you know, th- there are consequences to the actions, but the actual action of going a different way to what you've been asked in itself isn't a fault. Um, do you think you've busted that myth, Nick? I think so. Excellent. Right, so now I'm going to bring you on to the next feature. I'm going to ask you for your top tip. What was your top tip for the learners listening to help them pass their driving test? Listen to the instructions you're given, and I'm thinking particularly here of the way they word a specific type of instruction. Because when the examiner, at the start of the test, when you're leaving the test centre, and then when you've pulled up on the left-hand side so many times, you're, th- that you're starting to worry about it and things like that. And then if they pull you up to brief you for, say, the controlled stop or the reverse parking manoeuvre, they'll say, when you're ready, carry on. Keywords here are when you're ready. Okay, So if you're starting to feel that tenseness that's coming because you're starting to worry about that test, no one is going to fault you if you take 10, 20 seconds just to take a few deep breaths, centre yourself, get yourself ready for the next part of the test. It's when you're ready and it's safe, continue on. Um, yeah, that's where mindfulness is a fantastic resource to be used in that situation. And it's something I tell my guys as well. Get your handbrake on, get it in neutral, get your hands off the wheel, get your feet off the pedals, breathe and when the examiner says drive on when you're ready just say to them just give me a few seconds to catch my breath close your eyes if you want just count as you says count to five just take two or three deep breaths reset go again and that'll just take that stress out of you so uh yeah excellent shout there listening to the uh listening to the instructions and listening to the examiner always a wise thing um Okay, so let's move on and let's take a review of one of your local test centres. Which test centre are we going to be looking at today? The main test centre that I work out of is Hansworth, Sheffield Hansworth Test Centre, uh, which is on Orgreave Industrial Estate. It's actually not in Hansworth. It's actually uh, in Woodhouse now. Um, but it's the Sheffield South Test Centre. 
Excellent. Uh, talk to me about that. It's a big old place to start off with. Um, more than one test candidate has got lost after turning in the gate and ended up going all the way around the building. Uh, because this this test centre is it's a hangover from when the DVSA was two different organisations. And this is where they used to do MOT tests for, for large vehicles. So it is because of what it does or what it used to do. A very big site. Um, the area around it, the reason I like Handsworth the most is that it's the most consistent test centre I've seen. Now, the, by which I mean, you look at other test centres around here, we've got some that are big, scary roundabouts or twisty country roads or fast drill carriageways, but not, not mixing them all in in the different routes that they use. And then another test centre, you've either got climbing mountains pretty much or flat town centre driving, depending on which route they take you on. With Hansworth, there are, of course, different areas that they go to. And there's little tricky points on sort of each quadrant around the, the test centre. But that it's the most consistent route. If you can, no one route would hide a problem the way that, say, over at Rotherham, if you're lucky enough to get a test route that doesn't go through the big, scary roundabouts, the test route that you're given there could hide a problem with roundabouts, whereas at Handsworth, it's, it's, it's much more balanced. Does it have its own car park? It has three car parks of its own. Um, the one for, if you are taking your test there, the one for test candidates... As you drive into the test centre, you look at the building directly in front of you and you go to the right. You actually have to ignore the one-way markings and go to the new bit they've 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 painted for, for, for test candidates. If you're turning up there to test in a large vehicle, you go to the left because they also do lorry and, uh, lorry and bus tests out of that, that site as well. Uh, and you spoke a little bit about the area there. So does it have like rural roads, dual carriageways, high-speed roads? We have a good mixture of roads, but what we don't actually have is a 70-mile-an-hour road that, that the examiners can use. The fastest you can get to is 60, and that is for about half a mile. There's one stretch of road that's, that's, that's 60. Depending on where they take you, it's either going to be typical town centre roads. There's a 40-mile-an-hour dual carriageway nearby which changes to 30 um or there's a a bigger sort of arterial road nearby as well there's some some country road around um but even that the majority of them are well surfaced well lit uh, it's not like some of the test centers you hear about where there's a national speed limit country road there but you can't go above 30 on it here you can make progress and the examiners do like you to make progress when you can what are the examiners like nice bunch yeah on on the whole um as with any group of people and it's it's quite a big test center particularly because it does both the heavy vehicle testing and car testing as well so we've got about seven or eight car examiners there and about four or five truck examiners of, that i've seen over the past year or so um 
And when you're looking at any bunch of 13, 14 people, if you include the test centre manager as well, I think the fact that I quite like 12 of them is hitting above the average. Um, most, of will, most of them will have a good chat with you, but they will, they'll pick up on your cues. And if you're not, if you're not in a chatty mood, they'll, they'll leave you to do the driving. But if you are in a chatty mood, they'll, they'll, they'll have a, a bit of a giggle with you on the way around as well, which is, it helps to put you at ease. Awesome. Uh, well, do you want to finish up by telling everyone uh, that's been listening and they're thinking, that Nick sounds a lovely fella. I want to go along with him. Where can they find you? Oh, you can find me via my website, which is rps-dm.co.uk. Uh, that goes to everything I do because I do photography and truck driver classroom courses and things like that as well. But you then find the School of Motoring logo, RPS Driven School of Motoring. Click on that and it'll take you through to my website. Or if you want to get me on social media, I am RPS Driven Electric on everything except for Twitter. On Twitter, I'm RPS Driven EV. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Nick. It's been a, been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been, it's been good fun. Always, always fun recording with you, Terry.